Welcome to Beyond Your Newsfeed, a podcast of the Political Science Department of Providence College. My name is William Hudson, professor of political science and host of this podcast. Well, we're a week away from the 2020 election. Uh, in order to sort of do a pre-election analysis, I've invited back to our podcast a couple of analysts we've heard from already this semester, uh, Professor Adam Myers and Professor Matt Guardino. And joining us today, a great privilege, we're going to be having Professor Joe Camerano, Chair of the Political Science Department, who always has wise things to say about politics. So let's jump in. We're a week away from the election. Uh, I was looking at Nate Silver's 538 website today, and he's giving the odds of an 88% chance of Biden winning the presidential election. But for those of us who know a little bit about probability, even though Trump may only have a 12% chance of winning, he still might win. Sometimes the, the low odds come up a winner. And so I wanna start out by asking each of our guests, how does Trump pull that off? How does he win against the odds? Uh, what path might he have? Um, you want to start us off, Matt? <laughs> so I get the I get the tough question first. Put down the marker, and uh, then, we'll, then we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I'll give it a shot. So uh, I think in order for that to happen, uh, Trump needs uh, a really big turnout uh, on election day in a number of key states, um, and these include the states that he won narrowly uh, over Clinton four years ago in the Midwest, uh, and especially in Pennsylvania. Uh, that might give him a chance, uh, and he also uh, would do well to win Florida as well. But I think that in all of those cases, election day turnout or in-person turnout is gonna be huge because the early voting returns uh, in many of the states seem to favor Biden although not by necessarily by huge margins in all the states, um, enough that uh, I think that the election day turnout for Trump will have to be very big. It would be a, a narrow electoral college victory uh, if it occurred. Adam, can you, you wanna disagree with any of that? Add anything? Yeah, well, I, I, I agree with everything Matt said, but I'll add a few things. Uh, I think that a Trump victory at this point really does seem to ride on either. Uh, a late surge in support that delivers all of the states that are still up for grabs to him, um, or uh, the state level polls that are coming out so regularly right now being consistently wrong in a way that they were not in previous presidential elections, including incidentally in 2016, or some combination of those two things, a late surge for Trump combined with um, the polls right now being consistently off. I will say, however, that there are kind of several developments lurking in the background right now that the national media haven't paid a lot of attention to that do bode well for Trump. Um, one of them has to do with Republican gains in voter registration in a number of key states. And I'm happy to talk about that more if you're interested. And the other is the fact that, that Trump is making small but significant gains among minority voters. And I think both of those factors combined could uh, hand the election to Trump in a number of, uh, of these key battleground states. I'm not saying that that's likely to happen. I don't think it is, but I do think it's possible. 
So Joe, late surge for Trump, what do you think? So I'm gonna go kind of a variation of what both of my colleagues have said that, you know, the Trump administration, the Trump campaign is, is saying, oh, we've got this sub rasa mobilization movement going on, that there's all this stuff that no one's paying attention to. And that very well could be the case. Republicans generally have been able to do that door the door canvassing in, in a way that doesn't get a whole lot of attention. And so it is completely possible, like in 2016, that there is something going on that none of us picked up. Um, a, second, a second way that he can do it is something happens between now and Monday that's a game changer. And I don't want to get too macabre or, or jinx anybody, but Joe Biden has a heart attack or, you know, a stroke. Um, but also, you know, North Korea starts getting belligerent um, and launches an ICBM, you know, into the sea. Uh, you know, there are some remote possibilities um, of a crisis, but I think it's probably too late for that. But I think the best chance is this, this idea that they're working really hard in ways that no one's paying attention. Well, you know, one, one crisis we're right in the middle of here, Joe, is the COVID crisis. And that hasn't seemed to work very well for Trump at all. And I'm wondering if this, uh, you know, if this sort of spike in cases that's been going on now for the last week, particularly in the Midwest, it's been the last couple of weeks that you know, the, the COVID cases have really, you know, surged. Uh, is that, is that going to hurt, hurt or help Trump? I mean, I, in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, it was, I mean, I've seen some analysts that say that, that there's a correlation between uh, high COVID cases in a county and low Trump approval ratings. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, if you think about the battleground states where Trump has to win, for example, Iowa, uh, and Trump's support disproportionately comes from rural voters and older voters. And older voters are pretty vulnerable and they understand that the COVID crisis could kill them so they won't see their grandkids anymore. Uh, and I think that matters to them. And so I think COVID has got to be a net problem for Trump and hurt him politically as well it should because it's an example of, um, you know, essentially referendum voting. Is this guy been doing the, the proper job? If so, let's reward him. I don't think anyone's going to reward him for COVID. Yeah. Though, what do you think about that, Adam? Or is, is the COVID response just baked in already and it's not going to matter? I think it's baked in and I, and I don't think it will matter very much. Um, across the vast majority of the states, the uh, folks who have yet to vote are disproportionately Republicans. Um, as Matt was sort of hinting at, but I don't think Republicans in Wisconsin or anywhere else are going to be dissuaded from voting on account of a spike in COVID cases. And so, so my view is that's, that's almost a non-factor at this point. I mean, it's a big macro factor, obviously, that structured this whole election, but I don't think, you know, changes in COVID between now and election day are going to affect anything. Matt, you want to chime in on that? Do you have any comments? Uh, I more or less agree with my colleagues. I guess the one other kind of angle that I would take on it is that is, is again with turnout. So, you know, we know that the early voting returns are heavily, you know, disproportionately Democratic, including mail-in voting. Uh, but, you know, to the extent that more uh, uh, Democrats and Democratic-leaning voters decided to 
turnout on uh, election day, uh, or at least vote in person, than we would have normally expected, say, a couple of months ago, and, you know, felt less vulnerable, right, to the pandemic in terms of their health, maybe more of them than we thought will actually show up on election day, rather than have voted early. And that will, that, that's going to be a net negative for Trump, not just because of, of his handling or his perceived handling of the issue, but the fact that many of those voters will show up and vote against him, despite the dangers of the pandemic that they otherwise might have shied away from, you know, a couple months ago, especially not, not older voters, but younger voters I'm talking about here specifically, who may feel a bit less vulnerable health-wise. So, well, let, let's, let's go look at some of these states and, and what seems to be going on and, and what might happen. And why don't we start with Florida? I think we're all agreed that if Trump loses Florida, that's the game, right? He can't, there's no way Trump can win in the Electoral College without winning Florida. So it's, so it's certainly a key state. Uh, right before we started our, our podcast, uh, I was chatting with Adam and expressing my despair about Florida, that I've been burned so many times uh, in, in anticipating a possible Democratic victory there, that uh, I'm pretty nervous that Biden could pull it off. So, so what do you think? Does Biden have a chance in Florida? What would have to happen for Biden to win in Florida? I think that, first of all, if you look at the polling averages for Florida over the past few days, Biden holds a very slight, but nonetheless consistent lead across the vast bulk of the polls in Florida. But as you said, Bill, you know, in numerous elections in the past, Democrats have held slight leads in Florida only to lose the elections to Republicans. And in this year in particular, Republicans, as I kind of alluded to earlier, have registered a bunch of new voters in Florida. Um, Republicans have made major, major gains in partisan voter registration in Florida. And this has uh, sort of caught Democrats off guard. I don't quite know what to make of it. It could mean a number of different things. But to the extent that Republicans were you know, out and about engaging in voter registration drives, and registering voters on the ground in Florida during the summer while Democrats weren't doing the same due to the pandemic, you know, that could well be putting Democrats at a somewhat, at somewhat of a disadvantage in that critical state right now. It's, it's not known exactly to what extent that's the case, but it, it could well be the case. Yeah. Joe, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah I think Adam's got it about right. I, I, if I were the Biden campaign, I'd bank on winning without Florida. Um, I, I'd say North Carolina might be even more feasible um, because, you know, Florida is very unpredictable and I, I can't help but sort of piggyback on Adam's point about the new regist new reg newly registered Republicans. Uh, there's clearly a very well run operation going on among Republicans in Florida right now. And I don't see the same with Democrats. I think it's important to emphasize, though, that in, for Trump to win, he really has to run the table in pretty much all of the states that are truly up for grabs right now. I, you know, when when Matt and I were on the podcast a couple months ago discussing the presidential election at that point, um, everybody sort of anticipated that this election would be decided in the upper Midwest, in states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota. Right now, Biden is clearly favored in those three states. 
And I think the, the chances of, of Trump winning them are, are fairly slim, not impossible, but fairly slim, right? The, the current toss-up states are actually states like Florida, North Carolina, along with Iowa and Ohio and, and Texas and Arizona. And Trump really has to win all of those states to have a chance, right? He really has to sweep the board. Now, you know, it, that might seem really difficult to do, uh, but it's important to bear in mind that we live in a highly nationalized era where an electoral trend that happens in one state um, is almost never restricted to that state alone. So if, if Trump does well in Florida on election night, that probably means that he's going to do better than expected in North Carolina as well. So, it's, so that's important to bear in mind. Um, but on the whole, I think, you know, he really needs to run the table. Yeah, Matt. So uh, I'll agree with a lot of what my colleagues just said very quickly on the voter registration gains among Republicans. So I agree with what Joe said about the effectiveness of the Republicans on the ground operation in places like Florida. But we do need to be, as Adam said, really, really careful with interpreting those numbers because they don't necessarily translate closely to increased votes for Trump or for Republicans. We know, for example, that party registration, uh, official party registration is a lagging indicator oftentimes people's political views and, and identities are set first. And these might have been essentially Trump voters already, some of them at least, who changed their party registration formally, you know, in people who were independents or had no registration who moved in the Republican column, at least some of them are. And so we need to just look at those numbers cautiously. We also have to think about people with no party registration. Many of these states, Florida especially is full of independents or, or, or non-affiliated, non-registered under a party label folks. And all of the surveys, essentially all the surveys, not only in Florida, but in most states nationwide have shown Biden doing much better and significantly better among independents. So we need to kind of keep that in mind. The other thing I would say is yes, Trump needs to run the table in all of those states. Adam's right that that's possible though not likely. I, I think the fact that North Carolina is in play the way it is now, I think is saying something about the, the overall electoral trends and even a place like Georgia and a place like Texas, which would be difficult wins for Biden, no doubt, very, very difficult. The fact that they are as close as they are and the Trump campaign is certainly worried about them both, no matter what you know, might be said publicly, I think is saying something about underlying trends and, and some of the fundamentals that are driving, uh, that are gonna drive these results. Yeah, so the, the trend Adam was talking about a minute ago is really seems to be going Biden's way that we that we can detect, you know, something's you know happening for Biden. Uh, I'm pretty confident. I I'm feeling pretty good about Arizona for Biden, right? Uh, the the polls are a little better there. Uh, am I wrong about that? And and I would think that's a state that that uh, could very well, uh, especially with the Senate race there, where where uh, 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 Kelly is way ahead of McSally, it seems. Um, the polls are definitely better for Biden in Arizona than they are in North Carolina or Florida. However, it's important to bear in mind that Arizona is a state that's never uh, voted Democratic in a presidential election in the 21st century, and I'm not sure when the last time it even voted for a Democratic presidential candidate in the 20th century was. And so, you know, 1964 for Johnson, maybe. Even though Barry Goldwater was there. So, well, no, actually, before it went for Barry Goldwater. Right. So it's been a while, no matter when it was. And, you know, 
on the one hand, that's just an anecdotal thing. On the other hand, you know, I think we have to bear that in mind because, you know, given the uh, various forms of error that go into polling results, given, you know, difficulty in, in measuring support among various demographic groups, it is useful to look at a state's underlying partisan characteristics, right? And so I do think that, you know, if Biden were to win Arizona, it would indicate that Arizona's partisan characteristics are changing substantially, right? But at this point, we don't have that information yet. So I think some caution is warranted there. Well, I, th I think we can take a little bit more of a gamble, though. I, I agree with you. But, you know, if you think about this is yet another wave of what we call secular realignment, that over time, people are moving and the places they're moving from um, are losing reliable democratic voters or at least moderate voters. And they're going to all sorts of places, including Arizona, huge retirement community from the Midwest. Um, you know. Yeah, and those are Trump's, that's Trump's base, you know, well, older But also white California, voters. there's a lot of movement from California. <laughs> Californians are coming in. The Latino population is enormous. I, you know, I, I do see like Nevada, which has moved over a little more democratic, uh, Colorado, which has moved more solidly democratic. I see that region sort of becoming a little less reliably Republican. And so it's possible, Adam, that, you know, Arizona may just be sort of a little behind the secular realignment that's going on in the Southwest. Okay, Matt, what do you think? So just to add a little bit of caution here, uh, we need just to be careful though about, you know, demography is not destiny, right? So the fact that these states are heavily senior citizens because of the demographic shifts that Joe is talking about, right? Adam is correct that that's a huge base, part of Trump's base, white senior citizens in particular. But the reality is that the, that, the voting trends and opinions, there is a range within, within which they shift from election to election. And we see that all of the surveys essentially show that Trump is not doing as well among, appears at least, not to be doing as well among seniors as he needs to do to be, to feel comfortable, including in many of these states. He's winning a lot of those voting blocks, but not by the kinds of margins that we would expect, we would have expected a year ago, perhaps. And so what I, so for me, a place like Arizona or, or even a place like Florida, the senior vote and even the white senior vote is going to be way more competitive than we probably thought a year ago. So be, beyond the demographic characteristics, because of the pandemic and other issues that, that are shifting just a few people into Biden's column in that group, we, that you know, those could be important to, to tipping those states potentially in his direction. So I agree with what Matt just said, but by the same token, it's important to bear in mind that, as I mentioned earlier, Trump is doing consistently better in the big national surveys among Latino voters, particularly among Latino men. Right. So that also has an obvious bearing on what happens in Arizona, which is a state with a very large Latino population. So because, you know, all these these demographic changes are interacting with um, partisan changes among these groups and the particular demographic composition of all the states varies um, from state to state, it's very hard to know exactly how all this is going to shake but out. Like Florida, we're going to know early how Arizona's voted right uh, on election day because of they 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 count their votes they will have counted all their votes on election day uh, as florida will uh, so 
a good sign, a sign that Trump may be losing would be a Biden victory in Arizona as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, if if so, it, there there is a scenario under which we could actually know the results of the presidential election on election night. If Trump goes down in both Florida and Arizona on election night, you know, it, I I don't want to say his goose is completely cooked, but I think at that point things we could say look really really bad for him. What if it's just Arizona, Adam? Well, then it becomes. Then he's really got to he's got to pick up a something that's not really in his corner right now, right? He's, he's got a surprise. Right. He's got a surprise somewhere. Right. right yeah. Somewhere. Maybe then the win. math, then the math for him changes completely and, and he would, you know, need to win in some states where he hasn't even been competitive or hasn't been seen to be competitive to this point in order to pull off a victory. A New Hampshire, Nevada combo or something like that. Right. All right, but it, it may come down to Pennsylvania, depending on how things go. So maybe we should talk about Pennsylvania a little bit. The polls are showing uh, Biden with a lead there, but uh, not nearly as much as is in Michigan or Wisconsin or Minnesota. Well, I'll go first. Uh, you know, I think this is a state where Biden's character, his personality, probably will put him over the top. I'm willing to say that. Um, you know, Pennsylvania barely went for Trump. And, you know, if you assume that the anti-Hillary Clinton vote was at least 5%, I'll bet you all of those 5% go to Biden. Um, and so I think Trump has a much harder time in Pennsylvania okay. than the polls might indicate. Well, uh, anything more we want to say about particular states? Uh, I think we've kind of covered most of the important ones. Um, certainly one... The, the the bottom line here is the ones to watch are Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, uh, that those could be the... Yeah, and at the outer margins, Ohio and yeah, Texas. But, but those... And uh, Iowa. I, I put Iowa in right, that. Right. 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 Yeah, but it, and the thing about, again, about Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina, I believe we're going to know the results on election night of all three of those states. So... Um, Pennsylvania is going to be a while. Uh, Actually, you, you know, your mention of that bill re makes me think about sort of a lot of alarmism that's been going on about, oh my God, we won't know, it might be weeks, there's going to be all this disruption. Uh, and I, I just wanted to sort of raise that because I doubt that it's going to be so tumultuous. Um, I, I, I just, I, I think we'll know the winner within a day or two. Um, I think it's either going to be really tight and Trump wins on election night, or it's going to be a romp and Biden wins more electoral votes than Trump. Uh, I don't really see it as being an indeterminate election on the presidential level. I think a lot of Senate races are going to be very close and may take weeks. So I have to disagree with my esteemed colleague there. Uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, if, if Trump wins this thing, then um, his victory won't be sealed until a long time after election night, uh, simply because, as I mentioned earlier, he has to win these states um, for which we'll know the results on election nights, Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, and so forth. Uh, but he also has to win some a few other states, right? He would have to win 
um, at least Pennsylvania um, or you know some combination of the upper Midwestern states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota. Uh, and all in all of those states, um, the ballots can't begin to be counted until after ele after election day. Um, in the case of Pennsylvania, right, ballots can be received up to three days after election day. And maybe, um, maybe. well, maybe. right. I mean, the Supreme Court is going to take another crack at that. I don't or the Republicans are asking the Supreme Court to take another crack at that. My guess is the court's going to turn them down. But anyway, that's a, that's a separate issue, which we can come back to. In any case, I, no matter how this shakes out, I think that a Trump victory would only come after, you know, all of these upper Midwest states, um, you know, have finalized their results, which I don't think is going to happen on election day or the day after election day. Yeah, but I do think that it's possible for Biden to win on election night. Yeah, and 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 for that scenario to work out, Adam, the number of votes received at the very last has has to be pretty large, right? We'll know how many right. votes are received, and if they're they're less than, say, Biden's lead in Wisconsin, it's not going to there's it's, it's not going to matter, right? Right. I think that's that's probably true. Matt, you want to chime in here? Yeah, I'll just add quickly that yeah, Trump would need to you know win all those states that he should be expected to win. Uh, for for example, Arizona, he needs to win some of those upper some of those Midwest states and potentially Pennsylvania as well. If that were to happen, it's going to be probably pretty narrow, I would say. And that's going to mean that if any of those states are very close or even only a little close, we're going to see the kind of electoral litigation machine ramp up even more. And that's what's going to extend things uh, and, and, and create more confusion and chaos. And so another reason why a Trump win, I don't think we're going to know for quite a while, is going to be that there may be litigation over ballots that are specifically targeted in those Midwestern states and in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that, that, that implies a reversal of, of Trump's claim that we should, we should go with the winner on election night, right? Because he's the one who's probably going to be benefit if, if we wait and count more ballots. Uh, so that would be, it will be interesting. How ironic. If something like that happens, it'd be interesting to say, well, he, Trump has no, no problem reversing himself uh, on anything. So he can. Joe, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Well, no, that's okay. I think what I was going to say was I, I, my reading of all this is that either Trump is going to pull off a major su surprise that we're not expecting. And so the closeness is not going to be an issue or, you know, he's going to lose big. I, and that's why I think it's going to be determined within a day or so of the election. I don't think any legal challenge is going to matter for the outcome. Um, and it could be a Trump win, it could be a Biden win, but I think we're going to know relatively quickly within a day or so about whether it matters, whether Wisconsin goes for Trump or not. Okay. We shall see. <laughs> so. I guess I'm Panglossian in that regard. So I, I want to give us plenty of time to talk about Senate races, but uh, uh, I can't help mentioning uh, our new Supreme Court justice and the Supreme Court, uh, if there is this litigation after the election, uh, do you think the Supreme Court is going to take that up? Are they going to, or, or, or are they going to try to avoid? Uh, I mean, or can they control that really? 
they're not going to allow lower federal court rulings affecting the election to stand. They're definitely going to they're definitely going to receive cases from the lower federal courts, you know. And and the uh, the big question once that happens becomes not just you know what kind of justice is the you know is Justice Barrett, but also if Roberts is able to pull Kavanaugh along with him um, against the, uh, the the three arch conservatives on the, the three known arch conservatives on the current Supreme Court, uh, Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch. Uh, a lot of this depends on, I think, individual factors concerning the various lawsuits that that we just uh, don't know at this point. Um, so I guess my overall message is there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah. But if, for those of us who don't want to see a lot of litigation, our best hope is uh, a Bite, Biden decisively winning on election night. Right, absolutely. Or, or within a day or so. And otherwise, otherwise we might be in trouble. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, anything more about the presidential before we go on to, well, to state? Yeah, to I, I want to say if the early voting is an indicator, we may see really quite disruptive turnout figures this year in a very positive direction for those of us who think more voting is better. Um, you know, I really fully expect this to be the second biggest story of the elections, how many people actually voted, particularly young people. Yeah. And actually, and we, we haven't talked about, you know, it's for several weeks now, there's been a lot of fear about violence and disruption around the elections. There's been a little bit of that with this early voting, but it, it really has been pretty muted. And I guess my feeling at this point is that uh, election day is probably gonna happen pretty peacefully. I don't, there might be a few guys showing up with guns and you know looking mean, but I, some places, but it, it's hard for me to expect that to really foul up uh, the voting at this point. Matt? Yeah, in some ways I agree with you, Bill, on that, but I also want to put a, put a different kind of spin out there on it, which is that all of these attempts at depressing turnout, whether they're how organized or coordinated they are or how haphazard they are in voter intimidation, even guys showing up with guns are extremely uh, democratically concerning and, and frankly outrageous. And the fact that we're even talking about this right now uh, is is really, it, it, it's, it, it's amazing. And I'm hoping and expecting there won't be much, if any, violence on and after election day, but especially in these potential scenarios, even though they have low probability of Trump being able to kind of uh, claim victory or claim uh, some kind of sense of victory in some of these closer states in the Midwest, the, the potential for there to be uh, violence and chaos that come from, frankly, his supporters and, and armed groups that are aligning themselves with him, I'll just put it broadly like that, is real, even though I, I, I'm, I'm hoping and thinking it's not likely. So I think we shouldn't be complacent about that. Yeah, I, 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 well, I agree with that, Matt. And even the little bit of you know, stuff that we've seen is, is just outrageous and concerning in our democracy, and, and we have to worry, worry about that. Okay, well, let's talk about the, the Senate. Uh, uh, let's start with North Carolina. Uh, you know, before the, the, these uh, text messages that uh, Cal Cunningham 
uh, center uh, before they were discovered, it looked really, really good for Cal Cunningham in, in North Carolina. Uh, but uh, things have tightened up, haven't they? They've tightened up a little bit. And I would say that the, the polls for the North Carolina Senate race line up almost evenly at this point with the polls for the presidential race. And so my instinct is to think that that race is going to go the way the presidential race goes. In other words, if Biden wins North Carolina, Cunningham wins North Carolina. Um, it doesn't seem to me that there's going to be a lot of split ticket voting in that particular race. Would you say the same about Iowa then? So Iowa actually is, is, is a little different because in Iowa, the situation seems to have flipped a bit from when we last spoke about the Senate races bill. So when we last spoke, Ernst was actually running behind Trump in Iowa. Uh, now she's running ahead of him. Uh, I don't quite know what accounts for that. Uh, but I, there, I think there is a, a distinct possibility that, that Biden wins Iowa while Ernst, the Republican candidate, ekes out a narrow victory. Even though she didn't know the price of corn. Right. I mean, oh, so I was discussing I this with, with my... <laughs> I, it was soybeans, soybeans right? yeah. No, her, her, her opponent, Peterson, was asked about the corn. I was discussing this with my with my Congress class earlier today. I'm not exactly sure if that is relevant to the vast majority of Iowa voters who are who do not, contrary to the perceptions of people who live on the East Coast, live <laughs> on farms. Most Iowa voters live in suburban Des Moines or in some of the other small cities in Iowa. That you know, the percentage of Iowans who live on farms and who, whose, um, you know, jobs rely on the agriculture economy is is relatively small, and I don't think that's going to okay. kill her. Uh, anything else about Iowa? Any either of you guys want to say anything? Uh, Susan Collins is toast in Maine. Any doubt about that? Yeah, I, I kind of feel ambivalent about that because one of our grads has been working for Susan Collins for quite a while. Um, so I feel bad for her. <laughs> but uh, the reality is, I think Susan Collins has been able to finesse a trend um, that was inevitable. If you look at New England, where's where's the next Republican senator um, in, in this region? And so she's been able to hold on because she was able to present herself in sort of that moderate Angus King almost independent streak, but it's just worn thin and she's been there long enough that it's like, hey, look, and finally he, she gets a competitive candidate in the competitive year uh, who's well-funded and she Collins is toast. I think I, I think it's go ahead. Matt. Yeah, I, I agree. I just say that it's really a perfect storm year for her finally losing because of the broader trends uh, that Joe's talking about, because of how difficult it is for Republican senators or how difficult they've made it for themselves to distinguish themselves from the Trump administration, at least to the satisfaction of of voters that they need to win in order to be able to still win in a state like Maine, where the Republican Party itself is no longer uh, the sort of vision of the moderate Republican Party we've had. The Republican gains and strength in Maine are in more in the kind of uh, right-wing populist vein, right? And so, which is not her brand at all. And in a year with COVID, with the economic crisis, and with tremendous Democratic enthusiasm, all of those things together are putting her in a really difficult position. 
So I'm going to actually disagree with both yeah. of my esteemed colleagues a little bit here. I I do expect, I mean, or I should say, if I had to predict what would happen in that race, I, I'd predict that she's going down, she being Collins. But look, um, first of all, the polls in that race have been quite tight. In fact, they've tightened up a little bit in the past few weeks. Secondly, and we talked about this, Bill, in, in our podcast about the Senate races, it's very important to bear in mind that Maine conducts its elections via a ranked choice procedure. And survey researchers and pollsters have a very hard time uh, allocating the votes of people who want to vote for the third party candidates to the major party candidates. And so there's a lot of uncertainty concerning how ranked choice voting is going to play out in the main Senate race. And it's entirely possible that when all the votes are allocated, Collins will come out slightly on top. Well, but, 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 but I have a question. How many people who rank their choices would rank her anywhere near second choice? How many people who rank you know, what? You know, this is an incumbent with a well-established record. And if, if they're going to rank their, their vote choice, why would she be second on anyone's list? Oh, because there's like a bomb-throwing Tea Party type candidate who's running. And he's getting about three or four percentage of the vote. Or he's, uh, the surveys indicate that that for about three or four percentage of Mainers, he's their top choice. And so it's entirely possible that for, for his voters, Collins is their second choice. Now, I, I want to admit ignorance, Adam, so help us here. Can someone exercise the right not to choose a second person? Yes, yes. That's my point. Well, you know, yes, they can do that. How many will do that is, is another question. My guess is that, that most voters in Maine are going to rank order the four candidates, but I could be wrong. So if he's a bomb-throwing Tea Party candidate, anti-establishment, there might be some reluctance on the part of those voters to vote for, you know, if, if Collins is anything, she's very establishment. Right. right? No, that, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. So, so I guess that supports well, Joe and Joe's theory. I, mean, I think not voting for anyone or even voting for the Democrat, you know, voting for somebody else might. So, but I think the main, your main point is, is right, Adam. We can't know that ranked choice voting throws something in there. And, and if it's a close race, right. you know, it could, uh, you know, tilt Collins way. Uh, well, for the Democrats to take back the, the, the Senate, uh, they need uh, a net uh, pickup of, uh, of three seats, right? Uh, assuming Biden wins. And, and, yeah, assuming Biden wins, a net pickup of three or four. Uh, but let's, if it, and so if they could win Maine, uh, win Colorado, Arizona, the three states where it looks pretty likely that the Democrat is going to win. Um, they're still going to need one or more other states, right? Because Jones is probably going to lose in Alabama. And the Michigan race is uh, perhaps kind of up in the air now. It's not The Michigan race is a big wild card. Um, and we talked about it in our podcast a couple weeks ago, Bill. My sense is that given how well Biden is doing in Michigan right now, that Peters, the Democratic incumbent, is going to pull it off. But I'm not, I don't know that for sure, obviously, but let's just assume that's the case. Um, you know, so then um, for Democrats to take control of the Senate, assuming they win Mar uh, Maine, Arizona, and Colorado, 
they would need to win either in Iowa or North Carolina. And, and then there's a variety of other races, right? There's the two Senate races in Georgia, including a, including a special election, which is almost certainly going to head to a runoff, which will be decided a month after um, next Tuesday. So that so it's possible that we won't know, you know, who controls the Senate until, you know, over a month from now. Yeah. So, Matt, do you have any ideas there? So I just wanted to put a plug in for Georgia again, go off of what Adam just said. I think we shouldn't sleep on that state, particularly in the one race uh, that is the, the Purdue race. I think that, again, if there is the kind of surge of Democratic turnout, and if there is a fairly big Biden win uh, on election night, then that could signal uh, a Democratic pickup, which is amazing to think about in Georgia. And the demographics of Georgia as well are changing over time in ways that have often favored the Democrats. So I think that one could, could be kind of a bit of a surprise pickup that might put the Democrats over the top in the Senate. I think that um, those close races that we just talked about will be determined by the, the presidential winner in that state. Any chance for Harrison in South Carolina against uh, against uh, Lindsey Graham? Well, you know he's raised a ton of money, and first of all, if you look at the the presidential race in South Carolina, it's it's significantly closer than you would expect. Uh, Trump is leading Biden in South Carolina by you know somewhere between eight and ten percentage points, so it's not going to be a blowout there. I mean, don't get me wrong; I expect Trump to win South Carolina, but it will be significantly significantly narrower than it's been in the past. And you know, as as I've talked about with you before, Bill, um, in a sense, South Carolina is not such a difficult nut to crack for Democrats because such a large percentage of voters in South Carolina are black. So what all a Democratic candidate needs to do in South Carolina is to get the vast bulk of the black vote, which Democrats routinely do, and add to it a significant chunk of the white vote. Now that's proven very difficult to do in the past um, because South Carolina voters are so racially polarized, but Harrison might be the candidate to do that. And, you know, South Carolina is different from North Carolina and Georgia in the sense that, in the sense that there's not like a, a big sort of sunbelt city with lots of kind of um, northern transplants who are more moderate on social issues. Um, and that's kind of what's prevented a democratic ascendancy there. But, you know, Columbia is a growing city. Charleston is a growing city. And so there are some of those kinds of moderate northern transplant voters in South Carolina. And it's possible that um, Harrison will, will win a significant enough number of them along with keeping the, you know, the black vote um, to pull off a, a narrow victory. I mean, that's not something that I'm predicting, but it's possible. Yeah, it, it's possible. And, and I would just add to that, that if there's a Harrison win there, then that is going to signal a huge pro-Biden wipeout in, in, in terms of popular vote and then by extension the electoral vote. I'm not saying winning he would win the state of North Carolina the president or South Carolina excuse me presidential election but that's th that's would be the scenario I can imagine there. Uh, even a bigger win than some people imagine at the presidential level really helping carry that race over the top and getting that pickup. Uh, but it's, it's a tough one for Democrats but I agree with that I mean it's possible. Okay, so a lot for us to think about over the next seven days as we count down to uh, the 2020 election. 
any final comments? Do we need to say anything about the House of Representatives? The Democrats may retain their majority, right? There's, there's a possibility of them picking up some seats, though, right? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these kind of suburban districts that Democrats did so well in in the 2018 midterms, uh, there were a number of them across the country that Democrats didn't win that they targeted in 2018. Those are back on the board this year and uh, Democrats have high hopes for a lot of them. Uh, and so it is conceivable that they'll pick up, you know, somewhere between five and 15 seats. Because split ticket voting is so rare, I'll just add quickly today that if there were, if we had a situation where the Democrats lost substantial numbers of seats in the House, that would signal something really strange happening, including a really high level of polling error that were in just overall Trump versus Biden results, because those are really, really reflective of partisan voting in a lot of these races. And I don't, I just don't see that happening. So it's a potential a few pickups for Democrats there. <laughs> so, so I'm going to give sort of the left-wing QAnon version of, of the House going to the Republican Party. Um, it, it struck me as odd the other day when President Trump started bragging that we're going to take over the House. Um, you know, and I'm wondering whether he knows about something that we don't know. I don't, I don't see that as even feasible. Um, but if President Trump is talking about it, I've learned he knows something that he's not fully revealing. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to reserve my ability. Uh, I, I think what I'm going to say is if the House gets goes over to the Republicans, then I would say there's some sort of shenanigans going on in manipulation of the actual tallying of votes. Yeah. On the other hand, Joe, you know, Trump sometimes repeats what he's heard on, on Fox and Friends. So he also sometimes repeats what Vladimir Putin told him. Yeah. So I, I'm the last one to, 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 uh, to not take those kinds of things seriously that, that Joe said in terms of the potential vote manipulation. But for that scenario to play out, it would have to be on a scale and a level that is difficult to imagine and at a level of coordination. In order for others, the Republicans to be able to take the House uh, with the help of that kind of stuff, that uh, I think it's it's out there and in and, uh, in, 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 in a very low realm of probability. I agree. Yeah, I, you know, I was just sort of having some fun. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to pull us back from, from the conspiracy universe. We don't do we don't do conspiracy on Beyond Your Newsfeed. Uh, we just do political science. Okay, well. Uh, this has been an interesting conversation. Uh, uh, thanks so much to uh, Professor Adam Myers, uh, Professor Matt Guardino, and of course to my friend and colleague, Professor Joe Camerano, uh, our great chair of political science. Uh, appreciate having all of you on. Uh, maybe we'll get together uh, a week or so after the election and, and figure out how everything, why everything turned out just the way we were prognosticating. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But we'll, we'll uh, put that on the, on the agenda. So uh, thanks also to Chris Judge of the Office of Marketing and Communications, who edits and uploads this podcast for us. And uh, also thanks to all our listeners. Uh, please tell four friends about Beyond Your News Feed.
Uh, thanks so much.